Welcome to the Education Technology Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Michael Sartini, the voice of enthusiasm here on MarketScale. And when we talk about technology in the classroom, what we usually think of are whiteboards, an iPad for most every student, and maybe even an online lesson or two. Today, however, what I want you to do is look beyond. I want you to look towards the future because today we're talking about the most innovative technology to hit the market, and that is virtual reality. How you as a teacher can use VR to transform your classrooms into environments which empower students to learn about empathy while building connections with not only one another, but also the planet they live on and cultures worldwide. Joining us today, we have educator, author, and education technology consultant, Dr. Monica Burns here with us. Let's get right into today's show. I've been looking over some of your work and I find it really intriguing because it seems like you're encouraging this new creative classroom space that's not been really tried before. And what I usually hear sort of against technology more so than not is that technology just kind of sort of moves people away from one another instead of bringing them together. But from what I understand from you, you think that technology might actually be able to encourage more of a spirit of empathy more so than not. Could you touch on that real quick? Absolutely. So there's a lot of great ways to connect students from all different parts of the world and share their stories, which is such an important part of building empathy and understanding what life is like in different corners of the globe. Uh, But virtual reality is an interesting medium where students, whether they're using a headset or navigating a 360 video or still image, can access a wide range of content to help them learn about life in different places and hear stories in a in different format than they might be used to. So if I were a student, you know, I, I'd be normally reading from a textbook to learn things, but do you think that virtual reality can be used in conjunction with like textbook reading and learning to sort of bring kids into the world and they can physically see what they're learning about? Absolutely. So it's a great way to either extend a traditional experience or completely change um, the way that students interact with content. So as content consumers, students are watching videos on YouTube or listening to a podcast or reading something online. And 360 uh, video, 360 images, these VR experiences are becoming increasingly easy to access on a wide range of devices. So it can absolutely um, lay a foundation before for a traditional dive into content. Um, It can extend conversations and that someone might have around a subject area. So there's a lot of really special things that can happen to provide some context for the content students are learning. Okay, let's talk about that access. Where are the places that I would be going as a teacher to find more 360 video So I'm a big fan of Nearpod. I'm actually working with a school here in New Jersey this week uh, talking about this idea of tasks before apps and really focused on the learning goals. And Nearpod has embedded 360 content through 360cities.net. So you can embed this sort of interactive experience within a Nearpod lesson. There's also a wide range of resources accessible on YouTube through um, different outlets like Discovery VR, like NASA, National Geographic, Planet Earth through the BBC. And then you'll also find that certain organizations like the New York Times, CNN, they're exploring what storytelling looks like with 360 video. So with or without a headset, you can access um, the 
recordings that they've created, which might feel more like current events and updates, or might feel like more like a feature article or, or deep dive into a story. Okay, so I'm a teacher, and I like what you're saying. There's a lot of different places I can go to access my content, but what sort of grades should first be using this content? Like, is this more geared toward younger children or maybe like older learners like high schoolers? So I've used virtual reality content in some form with students as young as pre-K all the way up to adult learners. And there's students that are going to be too young to use a headset. So you want to be mindful of what's developmentally appropriate uh, for students of different ages. But whether a child has a tablet in their hand and are moving their arms side by side, or you have a student who is wearing a headset as they explore a different place, uh, there's lots of ways to bring this into the classroom when it's thoughtful and connected to your objectives, whether they're learning goals on a curriculum map or different types of goals you have for students, like helping them understand what life is like in in different places. Okay. What sort of tools are we talking about that you can use for content consumption? You say headsets. Does that mean just like Google Cardboard or are there other methods which are sort of cost effective that we can start implementing into the classroom? So there are um, Google Cardboards you can get for about $8 on Amazon. There's more robust headsets as well. Um, But you can bring this 360 or VR content up on an interactive whiteboard. You can access it from a smartphone or tablet that's going to be responsive to your movement as you look side by side and up and down without a headset. So there's a variety of ways that you can bring this into a classroom all the way up to a HoloLens um, with some of the content that folks folks like Lifelike are creating um, with a more kind of robust curriculum piece as opposed to curating your own resources. So what I really like about this is that you have an option to take this in any direction that fits the needs of your students, but also uh, acknowledges some of the logistical or budget challenges that you might have as well. Okay. How'd you first get started with VR? When did you first think that VR would be something really interesting to start investing in with the classroom? Well, once I realized that organizations were creating content that was accessible for free that you could pull up without a pricey headset or additional devices. You know, I found it to be really compelling. And when I started investigating and looking at connections, especially for students to build background knowledge about text that they might read or to better understand a location of a place that something is, is taking place, whether it's in a reading material or in a history book, you know, I became really excited about the potential, not just for the exposure, to a new setting, but also for the storytelling component that you could follow the steps of someone or see what life was like in different places. And it also provided a way for me to think about what content creation looked like when students took on the role of recording or creating videos with this 360 type of of camera and and lens to, to capture things in all directions of their lives. All right, cool. Let's get into the content creation part a little bit. Do you just sort of like give cameras to all your kids like, here you go, have fun? Or is there like a little bit more in-depth and nuance to it? I think it has to be much more purposeful. I worked with an after-school program with school age, you know, upper elementary uh, school age children. And I had an Insta360 camera, which you can actually use with a SIM card or you can plug into a phone. There's other 360 cameras that are kind of at that $100, $200 price point. So it makes it a little bit more accessible, kind of like a flip cam that you might have used five or 10 years ago in a classroom. And so in that case, you can hand that over to a student, but it's just like anything. You want to be purposeful and thoughtful about it, not the 
which button do you press as much as what is your goal here? What are you looking to capture or to share? And what can we do together to make sure that you are sharing a story with someone else that shows off your perspective or this angle of, of your life? And is that really like why you use the the mantra tasks before apps? You're making sure teachers aren't just attracted to the flashiest new thing in the market, but rather they have a lot of purpose and intent behind what they're doing? Absolutely. So my uh, latest book from ASCD is titled Tasks Before Apps. It's where I talk about creation, collaboration, and curiosity in the classroom, including what it looks like to integrate VR. And it's something that I share at lots of different events, speaking at ISTE uh, most recently on the topic and hosting a 40 Institute here on the East Coast, all about this idea of transforming traditional tasks uh, based on the learning goals, the success criteria, and the audience we've identified for students as content creators, and then thinking about which type of digital experiences will really energize and elevate and level the playing field for students. How do you think VR is really helping to facilitate student learning? What is the thing I can do with my students to really teach them how to see in these different ways using VR? Well, I shared a list of discussion prompts on my website, classtechtips.com earlier this year that's really designed to help facilitate conversations around experiences students are seeing. So being reflective, having an opportunity to say, what do you think life is like here? What does it smell like in this place? What does it sound like if it's a video without audio or a still image that students are looking with a panoramic you know, lens through? So I think that it really comes down to how we're guiding conversations when we you know, transport <laughs> students to a particular place to help them realize that life is different in different parts of the world, yet there's so many similarities. I find it really interesting that you're talking about VR, because when I think about VR, I think about it something that's like so inaccessible to the average person, and it's so far into the future. I always thought that they would use AR in the classroom far before VR, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's been the progression. I actually have a book with Corwin that came out a few years ago on scannable technology focusing on, you know, QR codes and AR integration. And so it's definitely something that's front of mind and I've been really excited about. There's a lot of fantastic AR experiences for students, things like Z Space. I had a conversation this morning about, as well as what we've seen with the Merge Cube this past summer being extremely well received um, by educators and their students. But I think that the more we think about a variety of mediums or VR definitely has a place at the table. The quality of content is increasing and it's been exciting to see the different ways it's been integrated thoughtfully into classrooms in different parts of the country. I think that's a the really good argument that you can actually show students what you're doing. And I think that'll help more schools get on board with VR because, you know, some people are very stuck in the old ways. They like to do very traditional, more lecture style. How do you think that we can sort of get more schools on board with the new VR technology? I think a lot of it is storytelling on the end of you know, what it's been successful in different places, providing actual examples of what it looks like when it's connected to different content areas, and really just getting the word out that this is available and accessible on a variety of devices. So someone doesn't feel like they have to be in a situation where they've invested in new technology that they can use exactly what they have and make the most of it um, with this medium. Could you give me some examples of how you've seen students interacting with this technology? 
So one um, example when it comes to the consumption of different content, I worked with a group of students, uh, pre-K students, who were exploring the life cycle of a frog. <laughs> and so I was able to push out a 360 image to them. So on that scale of VR, um, you know, the simpler side of it, and as we kind of sat together, the students were able to lift their iPads off the desk and watch as they move side to side. Um, their device showed off different parts of a pond. So we could talk about what it was like if you were a frog and you were, you were a tadpole and where you lived. And we could make observations, even if we were sitting inside the classroom. And so experiences like that can set the stage for what might happen when children go on a field trip to prepare them for what they see to get their wheels spinning or it might substitute moments where we just can't go to a certain place where we might be here on the east coast and we're not going to take a group of students all the way to the grand canyon to provide a particular example uh, maybe they'll get there someday and be able to put two and two together but here's a way for us to um, expose students to a particular type of setting so that they can better understand the content that we are, are sharing with them. Wait, do you mean to tell me that not every school can afford to take their entire classes to the Grand Canyon and this could save the money? Well, exactly, right? So it's not even just the money as much as the logistics to say, right? What? Well, we want to go to all these places. I want to provide all these experiences to you, and this might be the best I can do right now. Um, so I absolutely agree that it's, it's pretty compelling um, in this idea of, right, making sure that we're making the most of all of our time and our capital. I know you have a really big background and you're a big advocate for sort of iPads in the classroom. Can we use other technologies like uh, Google tablets or more Android operated systems, or does it have to be like the Apple route? So it can absolutely be a variety of devices. So when you have a tablet that's responsive to your movement, um, you can pull up certain 360 images and 360 videos. And as you turn or move, whether it's a smartphone in a headset or a tablet in your hand, it'll respond to you. Um, you can also pull up 360 content onto a Chromebook and use a trackpad to move back and forth, to look up and down and change the angle of the vision of that particular view. You can pull up this content on an interactive whiteboard. Um, you can move it side to side with your finger or from the device uh, connected to the whiteboard. So there's lots of ways to display this um, with whatever device you happen to have. Kind of off topic question for you, but do you think that with all this sort of emergent technology coming to play in the cl into classrooms, do you think we can just start getting rid of classrooms altogether and moving more toward an online focused schools for all ages? I think there's an argument to be made for hybrid learning experiences to reach students where they are in lots of different ways. But I don't think that removing face-to-face -face learning experiences to having an educator who understands best practices when it comes to pedagogy and creating instructional opportunities for students with a variety of needs, I don't think um, we'll be in a position where that person is removed or where students won't have a face-to-face -face, um, interaction with their peers. I think we'd be really, um, you know, doing something that would put students at a deficit if they didn't have exposure to working with a professional in the field and collaborating with their peers, both face-to-face -face and in digital spaces. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think socialization, learning how to pick up different social cues and relate to people in person is really the biggest benefit of educational systems. Um, I, in terms of new innovations, aside from technology, I kind of like what I saw some schools in Canada doing, which was they put all of their like lectures and in-person classroom instruction sort of 
of online for students to view at night. And then when they come in during school time in the day, students will work on a variety of different projects rather than just sort of getting spoken to all day. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah, so that flipped classroom model is really popular in different places because it does just what you said, focuses the time that students have together during the school day on collaboration, on problem solving, on putting their learning into action under the guidance of the education professional, um, the teacher that they're working with. So I think there's a lot of really compelling use cases for that flipped classroom model where students are interacting with resources. Maybe it's a video clip, maybe it's something that they've read outside of the classroom and working on their problem solving and application of that knowledge in a setting when they're surrounded with their peers and with someone who can help support them. But for you personally, what do you think is really the best way to go about teaching? Is it this flip model? Is it the hybrid model? Or what does the implementation of that look like on a massive scale? So I think that giving students access to curated resources, ones that connect to their needs and their interests is really important. And we can do that in online spaces so students have an opportunity to access what they need at the right time. I also think that balancing that with face-to-face -face time with hands-on learning experiences is really important. So when it comes to scaling this, there might be systems in place at a school for students to interact in online spaces, ways for them to participate in discussion forums and collaborate remotely, but then also have that side-by-side -side opportunity to work together to address the task and solve a problem together. Okay, definitely. So we're focusing more and more on togetherness through the use of this technology. I love that because, you know, being being an older person who just graduated college, I feel like with all this technology, it, we weren't really taught how to use it in a school environment. And we just kind of had to figure it out on our own. And as a result, sort of a lot of us are becoming more and more depressed. But I think definitely if we start incorporating these teachings that you're suggesting, we can actually build up a greater sense of community that we've been missing. Yeah, I think just like anything, right? If we are really focused on the hardware, we're not thinking about how we're going to use these devices in a thoughtful manner, right? All of the benefits of having access to these types of resources are lost, right? It's a real missed opportunity um, when we do have opportunities to use different digital tools, but we are lacking in the professional development, the thoughtful planning to really make sure it's implemented in a way that is, is thoughtful and meaningful. So I agree with you that it can absolutely be a challenge, right? And a frustration to say, I'm not quite sure how to use this, or I don't know what kind of change this will have, right? If we're not providing educators at every level with opportunities to explore, to plan purposefully, and to see examples of great uses of technology in action. Definitely. Now, when it comes to planning, how can we teach professors, teachers to use this technology more? Should we leave it up to educational institutions to really start bringing in technology into their university curriculums to teach new teachers? Or do we have to leave it to experts like you online and for teachers to find information on their own behalf? I think you'll see lots of teacher pre-service programs focusing on 
modeling how to use digital tools in their own practice, as well as having classes that focus on looking at frameworks and looking at ways to design interactive learning experiences for students. So I definitely see that and hear that in conversations I have with educators who work with pre-service teachers before they're out in the field. Um, but I also agree that like most areas, right, professional learning doesn't stop um, when you graduate with an undergraduate or master's degree, but it's something that can continue to evolve. So I think there's also a place for professional learning as well. And, you know, one thing that I've been really focused on this past year is thinking about ways to have virtual learning experiences for educators as well as that face-to-face. -face. So I, you know, travel around and in lots of different states and, and places working with educators on the ground and in classrooms, which I absolutely love. But I've also grown to appreciate the power of online courses or virtual book clubs and Twitter chats and these other spaces that might feel like less perfect, less um, traditional modes of professional learning, but can be really impactful and really actionable for teachers who are getting the information they need in real time and able to put it into action into their classrooms. Another quick question that I want to go about to is sort of responsibility on social media. Obviously, you know, me, you, we're adults, we know how to conduct ourselves online. How can we start teaching kids to really adopt a sense of responsibility online or to be more genuine or just to, to present a good air about themselves on the internet? So I think that the more opportunities we give students to practice interacting in digital spaces while we're there to to guide and let them make mistakes is, you know, is really uh, important. And so I had a post on my site uh, in, I guess, last month, um, week before last, all about digital citizenship, specifically as it relates to the Adobe Spark tools, which are creation tools that I've used for a long time and absolutely love. And the idea there is that you know, if students are going to create a movie or design a website or make a graphic with one of those Spark tools, how at the same time can we give them an authentic opportunity to apply the digital citizenship skills that are sometimes taught in isolation? So for example, if students are learning about commenting on a discussion thread and being respectful, well, then when they create a book trailer uh, to convince someone to read a new book with a open-ended creation tool, like, you know, Spark Video, for example, right, can they post that in a discussion forum? And then can they take part in a discussion to practice what it's like to provide feedback or respond to something that someone has created? So the more that we can give students an opportunity to try something out, to make mistakes when it's okay, um, and the consequences, or I should say the stakes are a little bit lower there's more support there for them to move forward, I think the better. So I guess kind of the key to presenting a more coherent vision of ourselves online is just letting students at first make mistakes and sorting that out on their own terms? So I think that it is an opportunity for kids to, you know, try something and maybe it's not the right way of uh, addressing something or not quite the right way of you know, participating in a space, yet they are in an area where a teacher can give feedback, um, they can respond, they can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about a decision someone made in an online space, um, as opposed to waiting till they are, you know, over 13 and create an account somewhere else and do something that maybe has longer lasting consequences. Definitely. All right. Well, that is pretty much my final question for you. Is there anything else you feel that you'd like to touch on? Well, I'm just so glad for the opportunity to think really about the power of virtual reality. I, mean, I always worry that sometimes you know, tools that you know, or 
experiences on tech that feel a little flashy, <laughs> that feel a little like, oh, that's just fun, right? But we really can be purposeful uh, when we're deciding how to thread in these learning experiences. So I appreciate the focus that that you all have on the topic because I think it can, can go a long way to helping students connect with others in different parts of the world and learn what uh, their life is like. Definitely. And speaking of connections, where can we connect with you online? What's the best way to get a hold of you? So I am at Class Tech Tips on all social media platforms. Um, This past month, having launched an Instagram TV channel with weekly updates there too. And then classtechtips.com is the blog um, where we have new posts, um, you know, every week. Uh, Oh, thanks for having me. Course of the month. And so that's the, the best way to connect. Monica, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And thank you everyone for listening to today's education technology podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Michael Sartini, the voice of enthusiasm on Market Scale.